right, children, it's your dad. It's a Thursday, I'm just, I didn't really go into the office today. I went in like a little bit, but I didn't stay that long. I had to file something real quick. And, and I'm uh, gonna have a fun adventure with your mom tonight. We're gonna go see one of my favorite comedians. He's hilarious. He really is one of the funniest comedians out there. And his name is Nate Bergazzi. So, unfortunately, it's Thursday, and he's he's, um, he's going to be in Monterey, which is a couple hours from where we live. So your cousin, Scott, is coming to, to be with you guys. And I realize we're leaving, like, at 5, and i got to figure out what I'm going to make your mom for dinner. Figure we're going to eat in the car as we drive up there. It's going to be kind of tight because it's about an 80-minute drive. And uh, we're leaving two and a half hours ahead of time, but still, you, you know, with traffic, who knows. I just, uh, there, there's a proliferation of businesses that you submit DNA to. Well, not, I guess not a proliferation, but there's a bunch of companies. The main two are 23andMe and Ancestry.com. As for 23andMe, I actually submitted, like, a spit sample, and then they told me, they got back to me and said, like, oh, it's not enough. And so I just forgot about it. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that through 23andMe. So I went through Ancestry, and I just got the results back. And it's, I don't know what to make of it. I, it's just so odd to see the results. I'm, see, I, I'm mostly from the Balkans. 25% uh, Croatian from the Dalmatian coast. I knew that. I knew we were from the Dalmatian coast. That's also where we get Dalmatian dogs. That's where they're named from. 15% Greek. Here's one thing that hit, hit hard. 14% French. 13% Irish. 11% Scottish. 6% Wales. 6% England or Northern, Northwestern Europe. 4% Portuguese. 4% Germanic Europe. And 2% Eastern Europe, Russia. So, it's fascinating to me. I, I knew the Croatia. I didn't know it was that strong. I, I thought that I was like 25% Croatian, 25% Irish with like Portuguese and Greek. So, I don't know. It's just so strange to finally see results. I, I, have, I have to be honest, I had to Google where the Balkans were. I think there's a Tom Clancy book about, about them. So, who knows? But Ancestry is fascinating. The older you get, I think the more fascinating you get with it because you actually get to see, like, figure out who your family is. And I'm on Ancestry.com. And I've been able to, I mean, through their program, track down, like, uh, World War II draft cards from my great-uncles and census um, things from my ancestors that came from Ireland to... United States. And the way my family went to, got to the United States, they actually fled Ireland, I believe during the potato famine. And they went to Canada first. And while in Canada, they, they dropped the O from the name. I'm not going to say the last name. They dropped the O. Then they misspelled the name. Uh, my last name. So actually, our, our last name is a misspelling because of uh, illiterate farmers who are our ancestors. They couldn't really spell it. 
or someone else spelled it wrong. I don't know, but someone spelled it wrong and that's our spelling now. So really anyone with our last name, because it's so rare and weird, anyone with our last name, we're related to. We can trace a direct line to our, to a guy named James and then my last name who came over here from County Sligo, Ireland. But most of our family's in County Cork and Mayo. Anyways, interesting. That's on my father's side. My mom's side, Greek and Croatian. My, let's see, on my mom's side, my grandma was first generation American. Her parents were from Croatia. Well, it wasn't Croatia then, it was Yugoslavia then. I was Yugoslavian until 92 when the Serbians tried to exterminate the Croatians. And my mom came, I came home one day after school, I was in seventh grade. Your mom said, hey, we're Croatian now. And by the way, my, one of my distant cousins was murdered during the wars. Pretty tragic, my mom was pretty upset. She didn't know her, but she, I mean, she heard stories about her. So. <sighs> my grandmother's parents, they, they came over to, to Croatia. Well, what I've been told, and I might be wrong, but I, I, more than one person has told me this story. My great-grandparents, my great-grandma, was from a very rich family in uh, on an island called Polizze on the Dalmatian coast. And while there, she fell in love with a young boy, and the family did not like it because he was poor, so they sent her to America. They sent her to a, a city called Watsonville. Now, Watsonville is considered little Croatia. All the apple orchards in Watsonville, those were planted by Croatians at the turn of the century when they came over. Well, my great-grandfather, not to be deterred, saved up. I believe he stowed away. He figured out some way to get to America, and he hitchhiked, or did, I don't know what he did, begged, borrowed, and stealed, and stole to get to Watsonville, and he found her, and they married. That's the story I was told, okay? It might be, it might be an overly romance story. They may have just met in Watsonville, who knows, but stories <clears throat> turn to legends, and now that's the legend of our, at least my family's, um, my mom's side. In a lot of ways, the Bible is bunch of stories about how people and families rose and fell and country and how one little country called Israel rose and fell. I'm not gonna wax too poetic. We're on chapter seven. And I almost read ahead a little bit. Where's my drink? What do I do with it? I was getting my oil changed today because we're going on a not a long drive but long enough where it's just, it's been too long, so I got my oil changed. Always get your oil changed. Between three and 4,000 miles between changes. And I took my Bible in, but I didn't want to read 2 Samuel 7, because I want to read it to you guys. So. Uh, right, chapter seven. <sighs> 
The yawning begins. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people, Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that you can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and, and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod of men, with the floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Because, uh, before me, your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. The king David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt? You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. In a way, it's kind of like a kick in the shins not to be able to build a temple for the Lord. But, as you'll see, not every main character in the Bible gets exactly what they want. God has his own plans. There's a lot of things people wanted. King Saul wanted to rule forever. That didn't happen. 
King David really wanted to build a temple. That ain't going to happen. Moses wanted to see the promised land. That didn't happen. Or he wanted to go to the promised land. I think God showed him the promised land. So just as you are in your own lives, children, and you want everything, you want all these things, that doesn't necessarily mean that's in God's plan. And God has a greater plan for everyone, including David. Chapter 8. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and he took Metheg, Amah, uh, from control of the Philistines. David also defeated the Moabites. He made them lie down on the ground and measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death, and the third length was allowed to live. So the Moabites became subject to David and brought tribute. Moreover, David fought Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. When he went to restore the control on the Euphrates River, David captured a thousand of his chariots, seven thousand charioteers, and twenty thousand foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down twenty-two thousand men. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and Arameans became subject to him and brought tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David took the gold shields that belonged to the officers of Hadadzer, Hadadzer and brought them to Jerusalem from Teba and Barothai, towns that belonged to Hadadzer. King David took a great quantity of bronze. When Tau, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadzer, he sent his sons Joram to King David to greet him and congratulate him on his victory in battle over Hadadzer, who had been at war with Tau. Jerome brought with him articles of silver and gold and bronze. King David dedicated these articles to the Lord, as he had done with the silver and gold from all the nations he had subdued. Edom and Moab, the Ammonites and the Philistines and, the, and Amalek, he also dedicated the plunder taken from Hadadazar, son of Rehob, king, king of Zobah. And David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He would garrison throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all the people. Joab, son of Uriah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was recorder. Zadok, son of Ahitab, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were priests. Sariah was secretary. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was over the Kirathites and Pelathites, and David's sons were royal advisors. Ooh, Benaiah. Benaiah. Keep that name in mind, kids. You know who I'm talking to. Chapter 9. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left in the house of Saul to whom I could show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. He is at the house of Macher, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Macher, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, no, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, 
What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land uh, for him and bring uh, in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, or Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always had the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. I wonder if he was crippled in both feet. <laughs> Keep mentioning it. That's an amazing thing he did for Mephibosheth. But I, I know, I'm, I'm sure Jonathan wasn't watching, but David loved his father so much. I mean, of course he would do that. My best friends too, and I would do anything for his kids if he were to untimely die. And you guys know that. Chapter 10. In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanun succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanun, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanun concerning his father. When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite nobles said to Hanun their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending men to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanun seized David's men, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments in the middle at the buttocks, and sent them away. When David was told about this, he sent magistrates to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated. The king said, Stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. When the Ammonites realized that they had become a stench in David's nostrils, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rehob and Zobah, as well as the king of Makkah, with a thousand men and also twelve thousand men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. The Ammonites came out and drew up in battle formation at the entrance to their city gate, while the Arameans and Zobah and Rehob and the men of Tob and the Makkah were, were by themselves in the open country. Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him, so he selected some of the best troops in Israel and deployed them against the Arameans. He put the arrest of the men under the command of Abishai, his brother, and deployed them against the Ammonites. Joab said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, then you are to come to my rescue. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come to your rescue. Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. Then Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Arameans, and they fled before him. When the Ammonites saw that the Arameans were fleeing, they fled before Abishai and went inside the city. So Joab returned from fighting the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. After the Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they regrouped. Hadadazer had Arameans brought from beyond the river. They went, uh, went beyond the river. They went to Hilam with Shobach, the commander of Hadadazer's army, leading them. When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Hilam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobach, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadazer saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. 
Okay, here oh here comes here comes the story. I'm gonna read the next two chapters. It's important for you guys to really pay attention to the next two chapters, especially you boys. Or men. I don't know how old you are when you listen to this. Probably when you're man's age. So hopefully you're acting like a man. If you're not, read First Corinthians thirteen eleven. That's when you know you're a man. Uh, okay, chapter eleven. Well, here we go. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Uh, the man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, uh, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants, and he did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he may will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, When you have finished giving the kingdom account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, Why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know that they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerubbesheth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why do you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger sent out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Job had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance to the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab, Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Job. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. I should say so. My Lord. Take a break for a second. Well, thank God for Nathan. 
this is going to have significant and lasting repercussions on David. Significant. Chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There are two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come for him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah, the Hittite, with a sword, and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You... You did it in secret, but I will do this thing to you in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into the house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any of the food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. And he answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan, the prophet, to name him Jedidiah. Meanwhile, Joab fought against Rabbah and the Ammonites and captured the royal city, citadel. Joab then sent messengers to David, saying, I have fought against Rabbah and taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will take the city and it will be named after me. So David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. He took the crown from the head of their king, and its weight was a talent of gold, and it was set with precious stones, and it was placed on David's head. He took a great quantity of plunder from the city and brought out the people who were there, 
consigning them to labor with saws and with iron picks and axes, and he made them work at brick-making. He did this to all the Ammonite towns. Then David and his entire army returned to Jerusalem. We're going to stop there. There's a lot to unpack in chapters 11 and 12. There's a lot. And it's such a tragic story. It's such a tragic story about, about David and Bathsheba. Uriah was one of his great fighting men. And you'll, I think it's in First Chronicles. We learn a little bit more about Uriah. But he was one of David's mighty men. He was with David for a long time. There was a, a cave in Adullam that David was at. And I think he's going to flee to when Absalom tries to overthrow him. I don't think he was there. The timeline doesn't make sense. But when Saul was coming after David, he had a very multicultural group of people who were on David's side. And they, they, um, they were from all over. It wasn't just Israel. I mean, there were Hittites, Ammonites, Amorites, Moabites who left their kingdoms to join David's cause. So he definitely had Uriah murdered. And more likely than not, he probably, he probably raped Bathsheba. No one says no to the king. And there's so many sins there. Lust, um, I mean, of course, lust. Uh, constant lying about how you should respond. Let's, here's how we're going to talk to Joab. You know, don't be upset. These things happen pretty much. Stay the course. He also abandoned the troops. You know, that starts off in chapter, I think, 11. The time that kings go to war, David stayed home. So he was thinking it was something not his brain. But did you notice when he was confronted with his sin, he didn't deny it? That's something to think about. I've had to confront one of my closest friends with, with another group of friends uh, about his sin. And believe me, there's a plank in my eye, so don't think I'm trying to act holier than thou. It's a scary thing to confront someone and say, you're sinning, you have to stop. My friend didn't really stop. He kind of refused to listen to us. And the Bible's pretty clear on what to do after that. And that's what happened. Uh, no, we didn't stone him. We kind of like just started treating him as if he was a non-believer. I still love him like a brother. But, but it's hard. It's hard to hang out anymore. Just so many emotions. King David was a great man. And I was thinking about him. He was a a shepherd, like a, a warrior, a warrior prophet in a way, a poet, uh, a great uh, musician. I mean, he played the lyre and calmed down Saul. He was an overachiever. Saul said, bring me a hundred um, foreskins, and David brought two hundred. He was a warrior that never, he never lost a battle. That, I mean, he never lost a fight he was in, ever. 
Uh, on the flip side, he was also a sinner, a rapist, a murderer. Um, and there's so many people out there that haven't done like murder and rape. But you have to look at David's heart. Nathan confronted him. He said, hey, this guy is you. And David said, oh, my God, you're right. I've sinned. And he, uh, and he went back after God's heart. So what I take out of the story is um, we all sin. We all will not, uh, what's it called? None of us will get into heaven by works. But if our heart's in the right place, it won't... How do I put this? Keep your heart in the right place. Be open to someone telling you when you're sinning. And tell someone when they're sinning. If you love them, you need to say, hey, what are you doing? You're messing up. It looks like you're doing the sin. Stop it. You're going to bring so much calamity on your life. I wish people had done that for me many times. But it's all in your heart. It's all where, where, your, where your mind is. Are you open to criticism? Are you open to a, a loving brother telling you, hey, you got to stop this, this crap. It's wrong. And if you're of the mindset of like, oh, thank you so much for telling me. You're right. I am wrong. I've sinned. I got to make this right. Then you're going to have such a blessed life. Such a blessed life. And I hope that for you guys as well. One of these days, I mean, right now, it's a very heavily father-child relationship we have. You guys are young. Eventually, this relationship might flip where you guys will be the authority in a way, especially when you're married and if you have kids, you definitely will be the authority. And I'll be kind of in the background. And then that's good. That's good. So maybe one day you'll have to confront me. And if you do, I'll love you for it and I mean do it di- diplomatically <laughs> um, but no one's perfect we worship a perfect God David was not perfect he was far from it I'm tired of these people trying to turn him into this great saint I mean he's a great person but he did a lot of bad things too so did Moses all the prophets were amazing and also fallible and what I love about the Bible is it details the things they did wrong too. I think to let us see that even the best people in the Bible were flawed, like us. It makes me think like if Jesus came back and, and if, if Jesus would have chosen me as one of the 12. I don't know. Maybe not. But who knows? Anyways, I've rambled along. A long enough time. Um, but uh, I love you. And it's like 2.17. I'm going to go to the school and maybe uh, park a little bit early. And well, You know, actually, i got to take the truck. I'm not taking the minivan. Um, park a little bit early. Maybe I'll read the Bible some more. I don't know. But you kids are the best. Do yourselves a favor. Call each other today. If one of you listens to this, call the other three. Just say, hey, how are you doing? What can I do for you? 
How can I pray for you? Let's go out to eat. Let's go complain about dad. That guy's crazy. Or let's go bless our mom. Let's take her food. Or just call her up randomly and say, Hey, mom, you know what? All those times you were hard on us, thank you so much. We really appreciate you. You're an amazing woman. Tell dad hi. So, anyways, I love you all more than you could ever know. And I'm so proud of you, where you are in life. I mean, really, I am proud of you. And I'm proud to, to say that is my child. That's mine. God gave me you for a little bit of time. And it's been amazing. So anyways, and all you do, do it for the kingdom, kids. Do it for the kingdom and the king. I love you. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes Chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me. But then Jesus so